Hey guys, welcome to the Frontline Community Church Podcast. My name is David Dorner, and I am the teaching pastor here at Frontline in Grand Rapids, Michigan, and it is so good to be with you. Our mission in this world is to see zero people unchanged by Jesus. So whether you've been following Jesus for a lifetime or if your journey's just begun, we hope that this message will speak powerfully to your heart, that it will reveal something that God desires to cultivate in your life, and that you'll be drawn to the person of Jesus as a result. We hope these next few moments encourage you, challenge you, and inspire you to be who God has created you to be. We hope you enjoy it. Well, I'm really excited to introduce to you our speaker for this morning as we start our new series, Graves to Garden. Uh, and I'm, I'm excited to, to share with you that Brad Vanderson, who, who's standing to my left, you're right up here, has been a part of Frontline, actually. We were talking this morning since 2010, right? So Brad and his wife, Sam, when they were still just dating, came to Frontline. They sat in the chairs that you were sitting in. Not the same um, ones. They're new ones now. Oh, yeah. They're you new, got new yeah. fancy chairs. He actually had to sit in the old chairs, the sacrificially. Um, so uh, Brad and Sam, Brad was a, a graphic designer major, right? Photographer. And, co- and photographer. And, and so he decided to get involved serving. We talk about it so much at the time, you know, your next step is getting involved in serving. And so they got involved in our student ministry and began serving and made such an impact that when we went through a period of time where uh, we were without a youth pastor, we asked Brad to step in and serve as the youth pastor uh, just during this interim period of time. And he did such an incredible job with that. We actually ended up hiring Brad full-time to be our youth pastor. And he served for a number of years as our youth pastor here at Frontline. In fact, my older two boys, Brad was their youth pastor. And from there in 2019, when New Life Church in Wayland joined us as part of the Zero Collective, Brad, uh, God just began to tap, his, um, tap Brad on the shoulder. And he went and he became the full-time lead pastor for New Life Church in Wayland in 2019. And New Life is just exploding right now. God is moving in powerful ways. They just went to two services a couple weeks ago, right? And they're expanding their building right now, uh, the area that they're leasing to be able to include um, this whole space. It's going to be a family center and an essential store, much like what we have right here. And so we've just been able to be preaching through the same series and be able to do ministry together. It's been an incredible thing. But I just marvel at Brad's, you know, progression, his transformation from like, you know, hipster, graphic designer, photographer, to then pastor, to now farmer, basically, is what he is. <laughs> and so uh, God, oh, man. God can do anything in anybody's <laughs> life if you don't believe that. And so um, the other thing I just want to say is Brad, it's been so amazing to see the way that God has just raised him up. He is one of the best preachers of the gospel that I've ever had the chance to work with. And so I'm excited to be able to uh, introduce Brad back to you. The prodigal son returns. Will you just help me welcome and uh, introduce Brad as he speaks for us this morning? So go for it, man. Thank you, Brian. I will get your $100 after service for that. Wonderfully nice, kind introduction. Good morning. How is everyone doing this morning? Man, this community was home for my family and I for nearly a decade. And Frontline is anything but part of our past. It's very much a part of um, our ministry and what we're doing. And so I cannot thank you as a community, um, even Brian and, and David and, and Blake, uh, for the love and the support that they continually offer us. Um, God is doing some crazy cool things in Wayland, and it would not be possible uh, without you guys in this community right here, and so thank you. Um, like Brian said, we live on a farm now, which is weird. And uh, 
We have three kids. Uh, my middle daughter, uh, Rowan, the other day came up to myself and she was bawling, like just hysterically crying. She said, Daddy, I need a Band-Aid, a princess one. I said, Rowan, what happened? She said, I got bit. And I said, okay, it's not super surprising. I mean, we have 13 chickens and seven barn cats and all kinds of animals running around. And she's adventurous. She sticks her hands in places they don't belong. Uh, and so I looked at her hand and it wasn't bleeding. I mean, there were definitely bite marks on there. And I was like, well, what happened? Like, who, who bit you? And she just threw her tears, just sobbing. I need a Band-Aid. I need a Band-Aid. And so I, uh, like any good dad would, gathered my other two children up and began interrogating them. My five-year-old, Emery, did you bite your sister? No, dad. Okay, I don't completely believe you, but we're going to move on to your brother at the moment. Theo, did you bite? And no, no, dad, no, dad. And finally, as I'm interrogating them, Rowan goes, I bit myself. Why, why did you bite yourself, Rowan? Because I wanted a princess Band-Aid. <laughs> what is it with kids and being obsessed with Band-Aids? And I thought to myself, Rowan, you, you bit yourself, allowed me to point the finger at your siblings all so that you could get a princess Band-Aid. Yes. Girl, you got issues a Band-Aid will not fix. How many of us walk through our lives seeking Band-Aid solutions for far deeper issues that are going on below the surface? How many of us have tensions that we're navigating in our marriages and it is so much easier just to sweep those painful realities under the rug, to ignore them and pretend like they're not there? How many of us Maybe we struggle with a job or we have a hard time taking care of our kids during the day. And at night, we find that bottle extremely reliable. It's always there. It's always faithful. It's consistent. And so we binge and we consume. Those are Band-Aid solutions to deeper issues. How many of us, maybe, maybe you have a job and you have this incredible drive to succeed, but when you when you dig below the surface, you realize that your desire to prove yourself and to perform and to succeed is just linked to the fact that you weren't valued or loved as a kid. I mean, we all, every single one of us, have deeper underlying issues that we sometimes just use Band-Aids to cover over, to shuffle aside, and to fix. And here's the thing, Band-Aids may, they may hide the issue, but they don't heal the issue. And we're starting a new series today called Graves to Gardens, where as we journey to Easter, we're looking at each day between Jesus' trial and death on Friday to his resurrection on Sunday, and today is Friday. And I got to tell you, Jesus offers us something far better than Band-Aids. But Band-Aids aren't new. They're not a new problem. I mean, ever since the very beginning of sin in Genesis 3, we as humans have been using Band-Aids to cover up deeper issues. We've talked about this here up front. Like, what's the very first thing Adam and Eve did after they sinned and God came looking for them? They hid. They hid away for fear of being exposed. That's a Band-Aid solution to a deeper issue. Then they, they take on false coverings. 
fig leaves. And then when God asked them about it, they shift the blame. It was, it was the woman you put here with me, God. It was the serpent that deceived me. That's what band-aids always do. And the question that I want to begin our series with today is this one right here. If Jesus came to reverse the curse of sin, then why have so many people settled for band-aids? I want to ask that a different way. If Jesus came to reverse the curse of sin, then why are so many Christians, even in the church, settling for band-aid solutions when Jesus offers something so much better? And so this morning, we're going to journey to the cross together, and I think what we're going to discover, and I really believe this could change your life, I think what we're going to discover is that Jesus wants to do something deeper in and every one of us, but it takes a journey to the cross to get there. And so if you have your Bibles with you, open with me uh, to Matthew chapter 27, verse 22, Matthew Chapter 7, verses 22. And as you're turning there, I want to set the stage for you. Jesus has been arrested. He's been transferred over to the Roman authorities. All his disciples have pretty much abandoned him. They've, they've run away. And uh, Jesus is, is getting questioned before Pilate. And Pilate had just released Barabbas, uh, the murderous rebel, to the crowd. And this is what happens right after that in verse 22. Pilate said to them, to the crowd, then what shall I do with Jesus, who is called Christ? They all said, let him be crucified. And he said, why? What evil has he done? But they shouted all the more, let him be crucified. So when Pilate saw that he was gaining, <clears throat> gaining nothing, but rather that a riot was beginning, he took water and washed his hands before the crowd, saying, I am innocent of this man's blood. See to it yourselves. This story has band-aids written all over it. In fact, as I was reading it and studying it this week, what I saw over and replay over and over again was just the Garden of Eden all over again. The people closest to Jesus run and they hide for fear of being exposed, just like Adam and Eve run and hide. You see Pilate and the crowd pushing blame on others. I'm washing my hands of this. I want nothing to do with it. Because that's what Band-Aid solutions to deeper issues in sin always does. It covers and it pushes aside and it hides. This crowd is putting all of their outrage, all of their anger, all of the stuff that they have in their lives on Jesus in this moment, and they are yelling, crucify him! And I think we do the same thing today. Because that's what happens when we live in a world of sin, is that cycle just repeats itself over and over again. You see, I believe we live in a world that is really good at confessing sins. I actually believe the world is good at confessing sins. The problem is the world is really good at confessing other people's sins. Crucify him. Cancel him. I'm going to remove myself from the pain of injustice and very real issues that God wants to redeem in the world because it's more comfortable for me. That's what sin always does. It distances, it covers up, it hides, it conceals. 
And what no one is doing in the moment of Jesus' trial is moving their fingers from pointing outwards to here. Pointing at me, myself, my sin, my brokenness. You see, what we've done is we've just labeled people enemies when in fact we have a common enemy that's sin. It's just a band-aid solution. That, that's all it is. This, uh, this past September, I was <clears throat> cutting firewood. Anybody use one of those like 25-ton log splitters ever before to like split logs? We got a couple people. In Wayland, it's like everybody with both hands up when I ask that question. Uh, so we're over at my house splitting uh, wood to heat our house for the winter. And I have a few guys over there. Some of them have never used a wood splitter like this. And so I'm over there. I put a log in and I'm showing them how to split the wood. And as I'm doing it, I'm watching them and talking to them and, and teaching them. And, and slowly what happens is the wood splitter comes down, cuts right through my thumb. <laughs> and the blood starts to gush. I actually fainted, which was fun. And like chipped a tooth and the whole thing. My daughter comes out, you want a princess band-aid <laughs> Jerk. No, I'm just kidding. I love her. Um, <laughs> so I get rushed to the hospital, and it's this whole thing. I'm, I'm fine. Like, my thumb sort of works still, but whatever. It's good. Uh, but what I realized with that, and what I think it happened with that, is that I was so focused on them that I did not realize the wood splitter was destroying my thumb right in front of me. And we do the same exact thing with sin. That some of us are so focused on the sin and the brokenness of that group over there, those people over there, that family member, that spouse, that we don't realize that our sin is crushing us right in front of us. Now, hear me on this. I believe one of the church's most important roles is calling the world to repentance. But if you are calling the world to repentance without having first been to the cross yourself, it's just a self-righteous band-aid. That's all it is. And what I love about Jesus is in this moment, he offers us a different way. And so I want to continue reading in verse 27 here of Matthew 27. Verse 27. Then the soldiers of the governor took Jesus into the governor's headquarters and they gathered the whole battalion before him and they stripped him and put a scarlet robe on him and twisting together a crown of thorns, by the way, one of the curses of the fall was thorns and thistles growing out of the ground, so here we see it replaying again. They twisted together a crown of thorns, they put it on his head and put a reed in his right hand and kneeling before him, they mocked him saying, Hail, King of the Jews! And they spit on him and took the reed and struck him on the head. And when they had mocked him, they stripped him of the robe and put his own clothes on him and led him away to crucify him. I want you to put yourself in the shoes of one of these Roman soldiers, a Roman centurion in this moment. Your very career is condemning other people. It's flogging, it's whipping, it's this grotesque, brutal scene, think passion of the Christ, blood everywhere. 
way worse than a thumb being cut. And as a, as a Roman soldier watching this play out and participating in this, you're, you're playing this game that they would often play called the King's Battalion where they would literally move the prisoner around like a chess piece on a chessboard, and they'd whip him and blindfold him and do all of these different things to him. And what does Jesus do in this moment? He's silent. He's, he's quiet. You see, Jesus is in the very place of Adam and Eve in their greatest place of sin and shame. Jesus is naked, he is shamed, and what he is doing is he, in, he is inviting all of it to come upon himself. All the sin, all the band-aids, all the cover-ups, all the shifting blame, all of it onto himself. Isaiah 53.10 says he was afflicted and oppressed, yet he did not open his mouth. How beautiful of a contrast Jesus is to a world that wants to just point the finger, shift the blame, where Jesus is saying, put it on me. I'll take on that shame. I'll take on that nakedness. I'll be exposed. I'll be torn open for the sake of the world. Put it on me. Jesus offers us a contrast to a world that does not know how to name sin, and he offers us a contrast to a world that has no idea where to take sin or what to do with it other than just shifting the blame and pointing the finger. Jesus offers something different. And after they're done flogging him, they take him to the place of the skull. And they nail him to a cross. And imagine you're the same Roman centurion and you are nailing a stake through this man's wrist. You've done it hundreds of times before. This is no different. You're nailing a stake through this man's uh, wrist, through his ankles. He's screaming in pain. And he's lifted up. And he can't breathe. And he's struggling for air. And the blood is dripping down at the foot of the cross. And at the moment where Jesus takes his last breath, the moment he gives up his spirit, I want you to watch what happens at the cross. This is so powerful in verse 50 here. And Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and he yielded up his spirit. And behold, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. And the earth shook and the rocks were split. The tombs also were opened. And many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised. And coming out of the tombs after his resurrection, they went into the holy city and appeared to many. When the centurion and those who were with him, so these Roman soldiers, uh, keeping watch over Jesus, saw the earthquake and what took place, they were filled with awe and said, truly, this was the Son of God. Did you catch it? Did you catch the four details that Matthew includes intentionally here? Four things being torn open, ripped open, and exposed for the world to see. The first one here is the veil in the temple. 
that access to God for all people who call on the name of Jesus has been restored. That his presence has been democratized in everyone and anyone, no matter their story, no matter their history, no matter what they've navigated, now have access directly to God. The second one here is the rocks. Guys, creation is literally groaning for redemption in this moment. The rocks split open. I think of the passage where Jesus says, if these disciples of mine are going to be silent, the rocks themselves will cry out. The rocks are crying out. Next, we have the graves. It's a symbol that death has been put to death. That in this moment, death itself is exposed. And then perhaps the most personal one here, the heart of the centurion is ripped open. He is exposed. The very man who literally nailed Jesus to the cross is struck with awe. And he says, truly, this was the Son of God. This is the power of confession that happens at the cross. That there's no longer hiding away, there's no longer shifting blame, The cross is the place where the rubber hits the road for your sin and for my sin. And I love this here. But the power of Jesus' cross is that it tears open and heals what sin has kept hidden. No more false coverings, no more fig leaves, no more band-aids. The cross exposes all of it. I think one of the best metaphors or allegories that I've ever heard for this discipline of confession at the cross is from C.S. Lewis in the book, The Voyage of the Dawn Treader. You've you've probably heard this before if you've read the book and you've seen this, but uh, the, the story is about a boy named Eustace who traded his innocence for a deceiver, with a deceiver. And as a result, his entire body is covered with dragon scales. He is a boy who becomes a dragon. These coverings, these scales or fig leaves or band-aids or whatever you want to call them, they dominate his life. They control him. And it is not until he has an encounter with the Christ-like figure, Aslan the lion, that he's actually healed. And I want to just read this excerpt to you for how C.S. Lewis describes the power of the cross and what it can do. Then the lion said, you will have to let me unscale you. I was afraid of his claws, I can tell you that. But I was pretty nearly desperate now. So I just lie flat down on my back and let him do it. The first tear was so deep. I thought it had gone right into my heart. When he began pulling the skin off, it hurt worse than anything I've ever felt. The only thing that made me able to bear it was just the pleasure of feeling the stuff peel off. He peeled the beastly stuff right off, just like I thought I had already done the other three times on my own, but those times it hadn't hurt. Then he caught hold of me. I didn't like that much, for I was very tender underneath now that I had no scales. And he threw me into the water. It smarted like anything, but only for a moment. After that, it became perfectly delicious, and as soon as I started swimming and splashing, I had found all the pain gone, and then I saw why. I was human again. This is the power of our confession. 
that can only be experienced at the cross of Jesus Christ. Are you exhausted right now of the world we live in? Are you tired? Are you burned out? Are you stressed out? The cross has something to say about that. The cross of Jesus Christ has something powerful to speak into that. If you're unsure what confession actually sounds like, what it actually looks like, I would boil it down to this statement right here. It's super simple. That we come to the cross and we say, Jesus, this is who I am. This is who I am. This is the sin I struggle with. It is all laid bare for you to see. This is who I am. Oh, but Jesus, this is who you are. That you are a redeemer. That you are a healer. That you are the only one who can reverse the curse of sin and remove the band-aids, the scales, the layers, the hiding. It's you, Jesus. You are the only one who can do that. I want you to picture it once again, being this Roman centurion who is so struck with awe at the moments of Jesus' death that he says, truly this was the Son of God. That if I'm him in this moment, I am looking up at the cross, I'm seeing Jesus, truly this was the Son of God, and then what do I do next? I look down at my own blood-stained hands. I say, I'm the one who put them there. Literally, I am the one who put them there. I am the one who flogged him. I am the one who beat him. I'm the one who saw him shamed and naked. What have I done? This is who I am. And the normal response to that would be utter shame, utter disgust. But I want you to hear this. That's not what the cross of Jesus Christ does when we confess. That's not what it does. Because when we begin to confess our sins, when we come to this place, and I don't care if you've been a Christian your whole life, I believe we need to reclaim the ancient discipline of of confessing our own sins at the cross. When we come to this place, this is who I am, becomes this is who I was. But this is still who Jesus is. Meaning that those moments for this Roman centurion of tremendous shame where he beat Jesus and he nailed him to the cross Under sin, those would be the moments that he would want to hide away, that he would want to shift out, that he would want to cover up. But because of Jesus, those become some of the most important parts of his story. Those become the moments that he will not be able to share his Jesus story without including. Because that's what the cross does. It tears open, it exposes, and ultimately, ultimately, it heals So I want to ask you this morning, what parts of your story do you need to to name at the cross? What parts of your story do you need to come clean about at the cross? I know there are people here sitting in this room who have maybe claimed the name Christian for as long as you can remember. And you still have deep wounds covered with band-aids that you have never actually named at the cross. 1 John 1.9 says that if we confess our sins, if we confess and we come before Jesus and say, this is who I am, that he is faithful. If we confess our sins, he is what? 
Oh man, guys, if we confess our sins, he is what? Faithful. Faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. This is the hope of the cross. It is a beautiful, beautiful thing. What parts of your story do you need to name at the cross? For me, 2018 was the hardest year of my life, bar none. I uh, was working in student ministry here at Frontline full-time, had a, you know, happy face on. But shortly after the birth of my daughter, Rowan, something shifted for me, and I was drowning deep in a depression. A depression so deep that my, my older daughter would come and run, and I was laying in bed, and she would say, Daddy, let's go play, let's go play, and I no joy whatsoever. I would go to bed at 3 p.m. and just cry myself to sleep and then wake up in the middle of the night and couldn't fall back asleep, and the depression was paralyzing. I'd be lying if I had said suicide had not crossed my mind a few times. And my wife begged me for months to go see a doctor, to go see a counselor, to do something. And I couldn't. I was paralyzed. Until finally, she pushed hard enough. She's an incredible, incredible wife, incredible person. She pushed hard enough, and I went, and I saw a counselor. And I began talking about it. And what I discovered in that process, and this isn't the case for everyone dealing with mental illness. This, was, this is my story. What I discovered in the process was that my depression was linked directly to deep, past sexual sins, sexual wounds that I had never processed with anyone anywhere, ever. And I went through a year-long process where I was in up to three counseling appointments a week both with my wife alone, she was in counseling separately. It was the hardest year I've ever walked through. You know what God did? He met me in the pit of hell. He met me in that. And he brought people into my life that were willing to walk that journey with me. Your pastor, Brian Bloom, was was one of those people for me. There was nothing I had to hide. Everything was exposed. And Brian and his wife, Carrie, step by step walked with us through hell. And little by little, the scales began to come off. The spiritual war that was happening inside of me, it began to heal. I got to tell you, it was a painful, painful process. But if not for the cross, if not for the blood of Jesus Christ and people willing to walk with me, confessing my sins, exposing myself, healing wouldn't have been possible. Friends, God is not an editor. God is a redeemer. And the parts of your story that you want to edit out, that you want to hide away, that you want to shift the blame for, he wants to expose those not to shame you, but to redeem you and to heal you. 
James 5 says it's through our confession and prayer with and for one another that we experience healing. It's through our confession. So maybe you're sitting here in this room and you're terrified to come clean before the cross. I know, I know how that feels. Maybe you're watching online and for you online has just been a safe place because you're terrified to come clean at the cross. I know how that feels. You're not alone. But I also know what it feels like to allow Jesus to expose and to heal day by day. So as we close this morning, I wanna, I wanna just leave some time for us as a community, just in your chairs, where you're at, if you're in your living room watching online, I wanna just leave some space for you to name the parts of your story. The sermon's not for someone else. The sermon's for you. It's for me. To name the parts of your story before the cross and invite Jesus to heal them. Healing God, tell me right now to, to speak to men in the room. You think vulnerability is weakness? No, it's not. That's what Jesus offers us on the cross that this exposure, that vulnerability is actually one of the greatest strengths he offers us because he is glorified through that. And so if you're here this morning and you're wrestling and you're struggling and you don't know where to go, with every bone in my body, I can tell you the cross is the only place that will remove those band-aids and offer you deep, real, soul level healing. And so if I could, I'm going to close us in prayer and then we're just going to leave a couple minutes for you at your chair to, to respond and you and God do business and confess. Let's pray. God, you are so good. You are not a God who avoids suffering. You are not a God who avoids the sin and the brokenness and the ugliness and the cycles of the world. You are a God who enters right into it. Who else could say this violent execution device like a cross could become a symbol of hope for billions of people? And so God, this morning we come before you and we confess and we say at your cross, this is who I am. This is what I struggle with. This is what I've tried to conceal. This is what I've tried to hide. But oh Jesus, this is who you are. You are a healer. You are a redeemer. You are a restorer. And God, I claim that this morning. In Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. Feel free at your seat before we enter into worship to just spend some time with Jesus.